0: This is Barry Zelma, Zelma on Insurance. Today I'd like to speak about the construction contract because it is a key element in every construction defect suit and is important to every investigation of a construction defect claim. When a construction contract, like every other contract, is unambiguous The party's intent may be determined from the contract alone, and it is the duty of any court, not the jury, to state its meaning. Construction contracts are governed by the same rules as other contracts. When a court is called upon to interpret a construction contract, its terms are given their ordinary and generally accepted meaning with the court working to give effect to the intent of the parties unless the contract itself gives special meaning to the contract terms. For example, in Missouri, the cardinal principle of contract interpretation is to ascertain the intention of the parties and to give effect to that intent. The terms of a contract are read as a whole to determine the intention of the parties, and are given the plain, ordinary, and usual meaning. Additionally, each term of a contract is construed to avoid rendering other terms meaningless, a construction that attributes a reasonable meaning to all the provisions of the agreement, is preferred to one that leaves some of the provisions without function or sense. This is from Dunn Industrial Group v. City of Sugar Creek, a 2003 decision of the Missouri Supreme Court, and is the kind of statement that would apply in almost any state. Consider the Indiana Court of Appeal agreed and said, the intent relevant in contract matters is not the party's subjective intents but their outward manifestation of it the cardinal rule of contract interpretation is to ascertain the intention of the parties from their expression of it that is the wording of the construction contract in Notland Construction versus the City of Avon, the Minnesota Court of Appeal in 2011 found that a contract needs to be read in its entirety, coupled with other contracts between the parties. When done so, the construction contract, that may standing alone appear ambiguous, becomes clear and unambiguous. If these aims are kept in mind during drafting, a construction contract should be reasonably straightforward to understand. A contract benefits both the contractor and the owner. Both parties need a contract as protection from each other. A construction contract should always be written, never oral or on a handshake. It should, like all other contracts, set forth in detail the duties and obligations of the parties to the contract. It should communicate the scope of work to be rendered and the extent to which each party is involved in the differing aspects of the project. Contracts serve as means of documenting the services and assets to be exchanged during the course of any construction project. The contract is important not only to finalize the deal in the minds of the parties to the construction project, but also to help define the performance of the work and may even determine who bears the tax burden. A basic construction contract is negotiated by the parties and will be interpreted following the normal rules of contract interpretation. Unlike the negotiated construction contract, some construction contracts fit within the definition of a contract of adhesion. When the parties to the contract are of unequal bargaining power, such as a multinational corporation dealing with a local builder, The more powerful party can force the less powerful party into a contract not subject to negotiation. The less powerful contractor is only able to specify the amount of compensation. The negotiated contract, where both parties deal equally with each other, is preferable and usually fair to both parties. When dealing with large or powerful entities, there is no way to avoid the contract of adhesion. However, even a contract of adhesion is subject to negotiation over price and some terms and conditions. Negotiation should never be avoided. Very few contracts are take-it-or-leave-it positions in the construction industry. Adhesion contracts can be left intact but modified by endorsements signed by all parties. All contracts should be negotiated at arm's length, recognizing that no two contracts will be exactly alike, because no two properties and no two groups of individual owners and builders are exactly alike. As the U.S. Supreme Court explained, such value may be good evidence of the maximum available if one can assume that parties of equal knowledge and negotiating skill agreed upon the figure through arm's length bargaining unhindered by any considerations tugging against the interest of the parties ostensibly represented in the negotiation. This was Ortiz versus Fiberboard Corp a 1999 decision of the U.S. Supreme Court that found there was no arm's-length negotiation. Although an arm's-length contract negotiation usually requires both parties to be equal, some may be more equal than others. The contracting parties should, within reason, use the power available to their benefit. If one party is weaker than the other and the terms proposed will make it difficult to profit from the transaction, the weaker party always has the option to refuse to enter into the contract. And then negotiations begin. When a contract of adhesion is accepted, The courts protect the weaker party and, because of the unequal bargaining power of the parties, treat the contract of adhesion differently than negotiated contracts. Courts will interpret any ambiguities in the contract of adhesion against the drafter of the contract to equalize the rights of the parties and prevent the stronger contracting party from taking advantage of the weaker party. Contracts of adhesion should be avoided, if at all possible. Although the profits that can be made from a contract of adhesion often outweigh the one-sided nature of the contract, the builder or contractor who signs a contract of adhesion should be careful to read the contract in total and preferably have it reviewed by his or her counsel to ascertain that all of the conditions can be and will be accomplished before the contract is signed in a manner that will result hopefully in a profit for the person entering into the contract. To protect themselves, parties to construction contracts often use standardized form contracts that all parties understand. Purchasing a standardized industry-accepted form is often less expensive than asking an attorney to draft a specific contract from scratch, although on a large project it is often a good idea to involve counsel to review and or modify the standardized forms to protect the client's interests. Generally, though, sources that create construction contracts are equipped to project and protect standardized form users because they are familiar with 1. New case law that affects the interpretation of contracts. 2. New statutes that affect the interpretation or application of the contract terms. 3. The need to resolve legal issues that become apparent so that they will not arise in future contracts four, the need to conform to changing building codes and construction-related statutes, and five, the need to conform to changing insurance policy wordings and regulations. The most extensively used standardized forms are those that have been developed by the American Institute of Architects, the AIA. AIA contract documents have defined the contractual relationship in the design and construction industry for 120 years. AIA contracts can save the parties time and money, are up-to-date and constantly revised, provide assistance in dealing with new design and construction issues. The contracts can now be purchased, in fact, in MS Word format. The AIA was established in 1857, when 13 architects met to create an architecture organization that would promote the scientific and practical perfection of its members and elevate the standing of the profession. Before this time, anyone could be called an architect, including masons, carpenters, bricklayers, and other members of the building trades. No schools of architecture or architectural licensing laws existed. Today, AIA's standardized contracts and administrative forms are recognized throughout the design and construction industry as the benchmark documents for managing transactions and relationships involved in construction projects. In addition, a significant body of case law Concerning contracts for design and construction exist, interpreting the language of the AIA standard forms. The more case law there is interpreting standard contract forms, the more certainty the parties to the contract have concerning their rights and obligations under the contract. Contract terms that have been tested in the crucible of litigation are less likely to to be subject to future litigation. AIA has helped establish many practices that are common in the construction industry today, including arbitration, a one-year construction period, and the architect's role in deciding disputes. AIA documents are used almost universally in the construction industry on major construction projects, And on smaller projects, contracts are shorter and less demanding, but still are based upon the AIA standards. In Nebraska, the Supreme Court held that the meaning of a construction contract is a question of law, not a question of fact. And after considering an AIA standard form of agreement, the contract contained a waiver of subrogation. It applied, therefore, to damages to both the work and the non-work property. Of course, AIA is not the sole source of standardized contract documents. Other publishers have created standard contract forms including the Canadian Construction Documents Committee, the Design, Build, Institute of America, the American Subcontractors Association, and many other sources available on the Internet. Forms can also be purchased at building supply stores or may be drafted by local council or by independent contractors and subcontractors. For example, some contractors use a one-page form with the terms and conditions attached as an appendix. Others attempt to draft complex contract documents by cutting and pasting parts of contracts presented to them by other builders, architects, and developers. This practice is hazardous to the contractor's or developer's bottom line. To be understandable, a contract must be internally consistent. When bits and pieces are taken from various sources and put together, the document can become incomprehensible and invariably create future litigation. Since construction contracts are unique, it is often in the best interest of the parties to an arm's length construction contract to retain local counsel to create a contract to their specifications after the major issues are resolved by negotiation. The contract would, in the precise contractual language that attorneys use, set out the positions of both parties, explain the duties and obligations of both, and make it difficult, if not impossible, to fail to fulfill those requirements. The cost of hiring an attorney before the contract is completed can save the parties hundreds of thousands of dollars in attorney's fees if there is a contract dispute. This video was adapted from my book Construction Defects and Insurance Part 1 and is available as both a Kindle book and a paperback from Amazon.com. If you found this video to be useful or interesting to you or your colleagues, please pass it on. It's free. Please also subscribe to my YouTube channel and my Rumble channel so that you can view the videos and please click on the Like or the Rumble button as you view them. And also, please subscribe to my blog and my Substack publications.